0: our unbelief. That is our heart's cry now, Lord. As we um, as we talk even today about the, the conflict in the kingdoms that we experience here and now in our lives, Lord, I pray that it would strengthen our belief in a God, in a Savior, in a Lord who is in command of all of it, Lord. And I pray all this in the mighty, majestic name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And all God's people said, amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the word. Hello. Oh, there we go. Now I, Paul, appeal to you with gentleness, kindness of Christ. Though I realize uh, you think that I am timid in person, bold only when I write from far away. Well, I beg you now, so that when I come, I won't have to be bold. I won't have to be bold with those who think we act on human motives. We are human, but we do not war. Wa- we do not wage war as humans do. We we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy the false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We keep the uh, we capture the rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Second Corinthians ten one through five. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, and I. You may be seated. Amen. Amen. I love that our kids are such a. Um, As Adam prayed, even a needed part, not just an active part, but a needed part. Hey, um, I'm going to, have you guys ever um, like been in a conversation with somebody, and maybe it's the person you're sitting next to, like as in the person you're married to, or maybe it's a sibling or something that you're sitting next to, or maybe you've been watching a movie or hearing a speech or listening to a sermon, and then afterwards you... Um, you're having a conversation at some point or maybe you're following up with the conversation you had with your spouse and you feel like you just had two different conversations. You're like, were we in the same room or, or you're talking about the movie you just watched and you're like, wow, did, did we really just see the same movie or did we really just read the same article or watch the same news story or whatever, or whatever the thing is? Have you ever had that experience where you're just like, wow, I, how come I saw that or heard that or felt that? so much more differently than the, than the person or people that I'm with. There's a reason for that. And the reason is that we all have filters. Like we all have like, like what do you want to call it, like a filter that you filter your world through or a lens that, that kind of changes your vision and, and even tunes your ears or, um, or a bias that you have. And those filters come from somewhere. Those filters come from our past experiences. Nobody is filterless. Nobody, including your pastor, like nobody comes to anything, including God's word, but in any aspect of our world without having some lens or filter color what we see and hear. Especially when it's about emotional things or things that, things that tend to bring up emotion. Those filters are called, like in the, in the word um, of um, of interpretation. It's just called a hermeneutic. A hermeneutic just means to interpret. And there's a biblical hermeneutic, which is the lens, and we all have a different one, the lens or filter that we are looking at God's word in. But we have cultural hermeneutics. We have relational hermeneutics. It's how we even approach each other. It's how we view what's going on in our world. It's how we get our biblical worldview. We all have them. And, and it's okay, the, the thing we have to do is acknowledge that we have them. Guys, the, the, and, and here's what I would encourage you to do. So, so for example, last week when we were talking about, so here's, a, here's some examples. The sovereignty, we were talking about the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. God is completely sovereign over everything, and man is completely responsible. Another thing that we talk about here is, we talked about like orthodoxy, what we believe and why we believe it, and orthopraxy, how that's supposed to be lived out. What are we supposed to do with what we believe? Another way that it looks is even in how we've reordered our service, and we've talked about this, are we pr- like prayer and the word, or like, John's, or like God, um, Jesus says in John chapter 4, where he talks about those people are going to worship me in spirit and in truth. Now here's the thing, all of those statements, and those are just four examples, sovereignty, responsibility, orthodoxy, orthopraxy, word, prayer, spirit, truth, those are all and statements. We treat them as ors because of our hermeneutic, because of our bias, we, we, don't even, we don't even know we're doing it, but we all tend to lean one way or another in these different areas. When you're having a disagreement with your spouse about something like what I'm talking about, whether it's um, a theological topic, a cultural issue, something going on in your family, you, each of you, because you have a filter or a bias, you're leaning one way or another. Here's my encouragement to you. Lean into the one that makes you the most uncomfortable. Lean, I'm not saying just. I'm not saying disconnect from the things that you believe are true at all. I am saying look at, lean into, read about the areas that you, that make you more uncomfortable because that's where God is trying to grow you, right? What we tend to do is surround ourselves with the people that are going to make us feel better about our filter, that are going to make us feel better about what we already think. So we watch the news. Shows that where they're just telling us what we already believe about what's wrong in the world. We listen to the speakers on YouTube that already are telling us or agreeing with exactly what we think. The problem is, there's, and I'm not saying don't ever do that, I'm saying don't just do that because all you'll ever be is that person. God wants the beautiful, manifold, messy diversity that is the body of Christ because we need each other the only person that concerns me isn't the person that has a a filter or even a strong filter the person that concerns me is the person who claims they don't they're like hey I'm just going by what what is obviously true here in scripture or I'm just going by what is obviously true in the world I'm like okay but but will you at least admit that there's the potential that what you're seeing is obvious may not truly be obvious. To everyone. The people that are like, nope, I'm just not gonna buy that, those are the people that are concerning because there's no opportunity there for growth. And some of those people are people sitting in this room, and some of those people are national speakers and pastors that I respect a great deal. But they sit there and they go, if anybody sees this aspect of, of theology or this aspect of our worldview differently than me, they're just wrong. That person to me is the person I'm leery of, frankly. So we need to be open to the rea- our own broken reality, which leads us to the first talking points question. So in your, bu- your bulletin, there was, um, and, and the talking points questions are not going to be as interactive. They're pretty long today, much longer than normal, and they're not going to be as interactive, um, but hopefully they're going to be thought-provoking. So I want to encourage you to have these conversations during our fellowship meal, on your way home, except like throughout the day, throughout the week. So here's what the first one says. We are in a fight, and it's not first and foremost with the person in front of us. And we'll get there in a few minutes. There is a war that is raging all around us, and if we're honest, within us. There is a war against this world system. So there are three things. The world system, our fallen flesh, there's the second one, and our great adversary, Satan. That's our third. So here's here's what we have to do. We have to become more culturally keen, that's the first one, the world system. We have to be more culturally aware, biblical worldview. Two, we have to become more self-aware, like aware of our biases and our filters. That's what I was just talking about. And the last one is we need to become aware of the schemes of the devil, like, like Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. So my, I, I'm not asking for input, but I'm saying, are you ready today and this week in your daily readings and throughout this fall season, are you ready to do the soul work that is required to grow? In these areas. Are you ready to like because it isn't something that's just gonna happen? You have to put forth the effort. And and so today, what we're gonna talk about is we're gonna talk about um, we're gonna take a break from our Roman series and we're gonna talk about spiritual things, and we're gonna see how this third aspect, the more spiritual, the schemes of Satan, how does it show itself in the other two aspects, the world and in our flesh? And we're gonna look at a couple of ways that. The Apostle Paul sort of shows how it, or um, explains how it works. And then we're going to look at a scene in Scripture in in the life of Jesus where he demonstrates not only that it's real, that there is this real conflict, but also that he has command over all of it. So with that, find 2 Corinthians chapter 10. So all that was by way of introduction. Find 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're talking about spiritual things. And today's question ultimately comes down to this. If the gospel is about kingdom conflict, how can we see that clearly? Guys, from the beginning, like, like, well, not from the very beginning. From Genesis chapter 3, that close to the beginning, this whole story, meaning this whole thing that God is talking about, has been about conflict between kingdoms. This worldly kingdom, who the God of this world is Satan, and the heavenly kingdom. And what we're going to look at today is how does Paul help us see these things. And he's going to show us that there are two worlds we live in, and there are two ways we look at them. And then we're going to see our last point, but there's still only one who commands both of them. There's only one king, and his name is Jesus. So find 2 Corinthians. It's to the right of where we've been in our study in Romans, which is what that is demonstrating over there. So that's why I point that direction. And let's look at our first point. There are two worlds we live in. There are two worlds we live in. So this is Paul. He says, "I, Paul, myself, entreat you." It means I beg you. So he's writing this letter to this church. That he, this is at least actually the third letter he's written to this church because this church was a mess. We only have two of them, but there's another one. At least one more that was missing. That's missing. The, it was probably so harsh the Holy Spirit didn't want us to have it today. But he's been pounding this church for a while because. They just aren't really doing well for Christ. I mean, they're not... um, Yeah, they they were a train wreck in the first letter. And they've cleaned themselves. They've, They've gotten a little more on track, I should say, in the second letter. So he's saying, I myself beg you... But look at how he does it. By meekness and gentleness of Christ. Now, guys... And then he says, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I'm away. That last part of that verse, he's actually quoting what these other apostles, and I'm putting it in air quotes because they weren't really apostles, they were ridiculing Paul. They were saying, oh yeah, you know, he's, um, he's only really strong when he writes to you because he's really a wimp at heart. And what he's saying here is, okay, I'm going to own that because you know what, in in meekness and gentleness like Christ. Remember in Matthew 11, the one time Christ um, ex- describes his own heart, what are the words he uses? He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So Paul's saying, like Christ, I am gentle and humble of heart, right? And then he says in verse two, I beg of you that when, when I am present, I may not have to show boldness, with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect I'm walking according to the flesh. He's saying, "I guys, he's basically saying, get your act together before I get there. Because, because when I get there, unlike what these people are saying about me, I am going to show boldness to them. Because I am not just a normal person. I am supernatural. And, that's, and, and, and not just him, but us. He says, I, they think I'm just an ordinary guy, but I'm not. Now, we jumped into the middle of the letter, so I want to show you how Paul is showing us these two worlds throughout this letter. So just turn back to the left a little bit to chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 16, our verse starting in verse 18. Second, same letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 18. He says this. So, so he's talking about this new covenant, it's a better covenant, that, that all of God's story, all of God's kingdom story in the Old Testament, was to lead us to this place now as God's people where we're giving a more glorious covenant. And everything else was just a picture or a shadow. And he says in verse 18, And we all with unveiled faces behold the glory of the Lord being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So he's saying we've seen the glory of Christ, the, whole, the real kingdom, and we are being moved forward in that glorious image For this comes from the Lord who is of the Spirit. Now look at chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry, um, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. He's saying, since this has happened to us, since we have been chained, are changed, sorry, since we have been changed, since we've seen this glory, he's saying, let us renounce disgracefulness underhanded ways. We refuse practicing cunning or or, or, or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we proclaim we, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Now get this in light of our two worlds. So he's saying, we have seen the glory of the kingdom that is to come, the supernatural world, and it has changed us. But then he says, but if other people can't see it, if it's veiled... It's because, verse four, the God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory that is Jesus Christ. He's saying, "No, now who is the God of this world? Satan." He's saying, "So if we have been, we have seen this glory." If people down here ha- can't see it, it's because they are blinded by the God who is blind, by the supernatural power of Satan who is blinding them from seeing it, right? That's, that's what this verse is saying. There's more to that story than that, but there's not less than that. Do you see the two kingdoms? Like, so look at verses 5 and 6. It says, For we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said let light shine out of the darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He's saying we are to be, little gl- we are to be the little glimpses of kingdom, his kingdom glory in this dark kingdom. Now turn to chapter 5 and verse, um, let's pick it up in verse 16. Jesus makes the same point when he says in, in, in Matthew chapter 5 14 through 16 he says you are the light of the world so let your light shine before men that they might see the glory of God the works that you by the works that you do right like like that's like we, we are the light of the world now look at verse um, look at verse 16 of chapter 5 he says from now on therefore we regard no one according to the flesh he's saying he said i don't regard anyone who is in the church as just merely a a normal human even though we were once regard, we once regarded. I'm sorry. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Why? Because he died and rose again. They're saying when when, when they were first following Christ, they just thought Jesus was a, a teacher, a rabbi. When Nicodemus in the calling passage that Brian read, when Nicodemus comes to Christ, he says, "Rabbi." He has no idea that Jesus is actually God, because he hasn't ascended yet. Now he's like, hey, now, now we kind of know different because here's the, here it is. In verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Guys, this is being born again. The, the passage in John 3. What, we'll, get, we'll get back to that in just a minute. But what does it mean to be born again? That was Nicodemus' problem he could not get his mind around this idea of how can somebody who my life is here in this kingdom the physical kingdom down here that's when i do this that's this world what does that mean to be born into this world he had no concept of that neither did paul until later and now he does and he says look at verse 18 and all of this is from god who has reconciled through christ from christ who has reconciled us to himself and has given us a ministry of reconciliation jump down to verse 20. He says, "Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you be reconciled to God. For our sake he has made him who knew no sin to be that we might be that he might be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God." Guys, this this whole this whole part is a ta- he's a tale of two kingdoms. He's saying Christ came, punched a hole into here, lived among us in this kingdom sinlessly, defeated death. So that when he died, there was no reason for death had no hold on him because it had no charge against him because he had not sinned yet. The the wages of sin is death, Paul told us in Romans six, and and because Jesus didn't sin, there was no hold on him. The grave could not hold him, and so he rises again to prove that he defeated death and that he did not sin. And he goes back up, and he's now in this kingdom, seated at the right hand of God, making um, reconciliation. For us, all the time, right? Even as we're stuck down here. And for those of us that have come to faith in Christ and have been born again, we have been partially transferred up there with Him, even as part of us. And and like I said, even though it's here and here, it's really like here, right? There's the physical part of Doug, and then there's the spiritual part of Doug. The spiritual part of Doug is the part of Doug that is Christ. I don't just mean I'm a spiritual person, I think about spiritual things. I mean the born again part, the Holy Spirit living in me. That's the kingdom, that's this kingdom here. So it's really more like this, I don't know, than this. I don't know, you'll figure it out. But the point, the point is, we, there are two different worlds that are happening simultaneously all around us as believers in Christ. That's the point. So go back, or so look at your second talking points question. Because, because even though we are Christians, we are still not only living here in this broken world, we're commanded to, to be influencers of it. We are to be the light. We are ambassadors for Christ. That means, I love how Abby prayed it, like, that we are to be strengthened in our gathering. That's why we are to be together. But we're not to be isolated. We're to be in but not of the world, but we're also to go out and make disciples. And so look at, verse, or look at um, your second Talking Points question. It says we have enemies, that we have real enemies in this world, people who want to do us harm. Those are both physical and spiritual enemies, by the way. I mean, there are people, and then there are the fallen angels that want to do us harm. But we don't need to fear them. We need to hang together through them. In other words, we need to know how to be able to communicate with our peeps. We have, guys, have you, so this is, this is a commercial. I'm not, I'm not even going to apologize for it. In your bulletin. Under the be in community part, there's a section about how you're supposed to sign up for the church center app, which is how we communicate our prayer requests and things that are going on and or on. You can do it online. So if you don't want to download the app or you don't have a smartphone, you can do it all online. All the directions are in your bulletin. If you have questions, talk to one of the leaders about it. But guys, have we already forgotten March of 2020? Like, like we, we have to, when, when, when we could not get together because at that point we had no place to get together, and things like what what happens when we can when when our ability to gather face to face like this but we still need to communicate because we're warriors on the battlefield how are we going to do that the way we've chosen to do it is through this church center app now some of you are going yeah but i don't give my personal information to anybody because and here's how i know that because sometimes i'm like hey man the lord just put something on my heart i'll look in our church center app so i can just text you and go or email you and go hey i just want to let you know i prayed for you and we have no information now here's the here's what i'm going to challenge you with that i bet you that those same exact people have given amazon way more information than a name and an email because that's all you need to give a name and an email. And I'm telling you right now, there, there probably isn't an adult in this room that hasn't given somebody online way more information than your church is asking you for. Guys, if you're, we have to be able to communicate because we are in a fight. It is a conflict fight between two kingdoms, and we have to know who's on our side. And we have to be able to communicate clearly on the battlefield. That is the reality that we're in. So that leads us. To our second point. So, one, there are these two worlds. The second is there's two ways to look at them. So go back to our to chapter 10. Go back to chapter 10, and it says, and this is where he's really gonna press into the spiritual part. He's like, people think that I only live in this like like the physical world. I'm, I'm only a normal person. But he's like, though I am of the flesh, though I am a human, though we walk in the flesh. We do not war according to the flesh. He's like, we don't make war the way normal humans make war. He says, because the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they are divinely powerful for the destruction of strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Guys, this is that flesh-spirit war that Paul was talking about in Romans 7 when we were there. And he's like, he's like, this Paul, who's been transferred, wants to do good and can't seem to get it done down here. And this one down here knows he's supposed to do good and can't seem to do it. He's like, what's the problem? And he's going, it's because I'm at war. And what, and what um, Brian led us through in our prayer time in the armor of God, turn to Rome, Ephesians chapter 6. Turn to Ephesians, we were there for our prayer time, so you should be able, it's just to the right of where we are, a couple of books. Ephesians chapter 6. Um, Brian led us through praying through that during our prayer time which was an awesome time there's an insert in your bulletin talking about the armor of God I'm not going to go through all the armor of God but I want to just point out one before I talk about Ephesians guys think about this in in light of our calling passage John 3 Jesus says to Nicodemus unless you are born of the flesh and of the spirit you will not inherit the kingdom of God you can't get here unless two things have happened to you You've been born by your mama, and you've been born by the Holy Spirit. Both of those things have to happen. This one accomplishes getting being in this world. Every human being that's ever been conceived is part of that world. right? The only ones that are part of this world are the ones who have been transferred there by the grace of God because of the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Now, where does that leave us here as soldiers in this world? Look at verse 12 of Ephesians 6. Because none of the armor that Brian had us pray through and that that little handout talks about, none of it will will matter to you. None of it will be useful to you unless you actually believe verse 12. So look at verse 12. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Do we believe that? Do you really believe that your biggest fight is not with your spouse? That your biggest fight is not with the politics? That your bi- it doesn't mean that you're not fighting with your spouse. It doesn't mean that, you're not, that there aren't political battles to engage in. I'm saying, do we really believe that our, that our first fight is against the spiritual forces of darkness in heavenly places? He is talking about the fallen angels. And then he says, so put on the full armor of God. But guys, unless we actually believe, this armor is not to go out and fight the world. This armor is to go out and fight the fallen ones who are prowling around in this world. And unless we believe that this is actually true, what's the point in armoring up? Right. So, so we have to change our perspective to see that heavenly kingdom way more, as way more powerful. And then look at what he says in verse 18. So then he talks about all the armor that we prayed through. And then he says, now get this. And then he's like, after you armor up, pray. He's like, please pray. And don't just pray. Pray all the time in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. That's just a way of him saying, pleading for the power of God. Guys, understand this. Prayer and the word of God are our only two weapons against what's going on in the world. What's really Going on in the world. Yes, register to vote and vote biblically. Absolutely. Yes, like work, like, be, be get, like work on your sanctification as Christ works in you, the hope of glory, so that you are a better model for Christ. But ultimately, the, the weapons that we have, the, the strongest weapons we have against all that is going on in this world are prayer and the Word of God. Why? Because it's like, those are like code talker talk for the soldiers that are on the battlefield. Like, this is how we communicate with God, through prayer and the Word. And so if we're not doing those things, I mean, Paul's saying, armor up, get after it, but man, please pray. And then in, the, in verses 19 and 20, he goes on to say, and, and then pray that I would proclaim, because that's the point of all of it, is to proclaim with my mouth, with boldness, the mystery of the gospel, The mystery of these kingdoms coming together, the mystery of reconciliation, the mystery of all these things. And he says, for I am an ambassador in chains and that I might declare boldly what I ought to speak. Guys, if if we are going, not only do we have to armor up, but we have to, one, we have to recognize that there is a fight. That there's a fight going on that is as real as anything else, anything tangible in this world is the spiritual kingdom. And our weapons against that are prayer and the word of God. And the way those play out is through the armor that he lists there. So with that Thank you, Kendall. So with that, we're going to skip the last talking points question. It talks about the armor of God, and I want to go to where Jesus demonstrates everything I just said, because it's, again, hermeneutics. Doug, you could just be filtering all this through those verses. Right now, there's lots of places in Scripture that we could go to to talk about the spiritual warfare. But let's let's just let Jesus do it for us. Go to Matthew chapter eight. Matthew is the first gospel um, in your New Testament. Anybody know what the why? Why did Matthew? Why was Matthew's gospel written? To what? To show Jesus is what? Jesus is king of what? Not the Jews. I mean, it was the Jews, but the king of what? The king of everything. Everything that's going on in the Old Testament is just a shadow and a picture of the, even David, is a picture of the coming king. And he's here to say, so Matthew, the way Matthew is written is right from the start. So we're in Matthew 8, but right from the start, it is showing Jesus as king of everything. There's only one who commands both kingdoms. And in order to show that, here's what he does. In, in, in um, Matthew chapter 3, don't turn there, but in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus gets baptized in the Jordan And the Holy Spirit descends upon him, and God says, This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That is a picture of God's people crossing through the Red Sea. Immediately after that, what happens to Jesus? He gets led out into the wilderness for 40 days. What happened to God's people after the Red Sea experience? They get led out for 40 years. He then combats Satan. So right there, there's a picture of these two kingdoms. Jesus is physically flesh, walking around on this kingdom. He is combating a spiritual being. Satan comes to him. So there it is right there in that scene, and that's in Matthew chapter 4. And, Ma- and then he comes out of the wilderness, and he goes up the mountain, not to receive the law like Moses did after they, after, during the wilderness wanderings, but in order to redefine the law in the Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew 5 through 7. Now he's going to get, now he comes back down the hill after all of that. And then pick, I'm going to show you just a few examples of how he's in charge of all of these things. He's ultimately shown them so far, I am just the better Moses. Like everything you've been waiting for, everything you thought was coming in this kingdom, I am it. Like I embody all of it. And then he gets to, so look at, so he comes down the hill. He's been In the meantime, the chapter starts with, he is healing people all day and all night. In, um, right on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, he's healing them physically and he's healing them spiritually. In verses 14 through 17, it talks about how he's casting out demons and how he is, um, and how he is healing people physically. And then look at verse 23. It says, when, and when he got into the boat, so when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. So this probably is not one of their fishing boats. This was probably like a charter boat of some kind, a bigger boat, because they don't, they're not, it's not their boat. He gets in the boat, and they're like, well, we just want to go where he's going, so they get in with him. And look what it says. It says, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. Now, why was Jesus asleep? Why, why was he able to sleep when they weren't? Because he's God? Not yet. I mean, one, because right here, it shows his humanity. He's sleeping. God doesn't sleep. So the human part of Jesus is physically tired. But why is he able to stay asleep in a boat that is sinking? Because he's just like, you know what? My father told me to go to the other side of the lake. I just trust him enough to believe it's going to happen. So he's like, I'm just going to rest. They come to him instead, and they say, "Um, save us, Lord. We're perishing. And look what he says. And he said to them, why are you so afraid, you of little faith, you of low belief, you, you that don't trust? And he said, so he said, why, and, then he, and then it says, and he rose, and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. So one, it shows you the power of a word from Christ. Immediately, the storm ceases. But guys, get this. When he says he rebuked the winds and the sea, the, the, the way that is written in the Greek, it is written like he's addressing a person. It's not written like, like, when, like when in other places where it talks about creating creation, physical creation. So it's not saying he rebuked the created thing. He's, it is adre- he is addressing an entity. When he says, stop, be still, hush. He is addressing an entity. This is his way of coming down off the hill, going out on this boat, and, and then showing everybody, I am in control of all. I am in control of all created order. Now, how is that possible? Because he's the one who created it, right? John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the be- he Jesus was in the beginning with God, and all things that came into being came into being through Him. And nothing that is here came into being apart from him, John tells us. The writer of Hebrews says he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and he holds everything together by the word of his power. That's Christ. And what Jesus is showing them, they just think he's a dude. But he is trying to show them, I am so much more than that. I am even so much more than what you think the Messiah is. I am king, and I control even all of created order. They get to the end of the. They get to the other side of the lake, and then look what happens. And when they came to the other side, uh, the, um, um sorry. And when they came to the other side to the country of the Gardenines two demon-possessed men came to him out of the tombs. They were so fierce, no one could pass by. And behold, they cried out, "Have you what? Have, what have you come to do with us, O Son of God?" They even the demons know and tremble is what the Bible says. And then it says, are you here to torment us before the time? So they know who he is. Now there was a herd of pigs feeding some distance away, and the demons begged him, saying, if you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said, go. Again, shows you the power of the word. He's like, in a word, he doesn't touch them, he doesn't debate them, he he just says, go. And so they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, now, now get this, and behold, the whole herds rushed down into the steep bank in the sea, and they drowned. Guys, he's showing, in the sea, in calming the storm, he's going, I am, I am, I have complete authority as king over all of created order. And then, and then as if to double down on that point, here comes this demon-possessed, these demon-possessed dudes that are so strong, nobody can stop them, and in one word, he says, I have complete control over you too, Get out. Right? What he's demonstrating to us is there is one king over all of creation. Yes, there are two aspects. There is this physical world, and we need to acknowledge both of them and, this, and the spiritual world. But, God, but Jesus is king and ruler and authority of both of them. Mark, is, Here's what's interesting. Mark's account of this actually kind of takes it because you see at the end of, of this part in, in verses 33 and 34, because the question becomes, what do, we do, what do we now do with this? There's nothing in Scripture, there is nothing in Scripture that, that, that makes us believe that this kind of thing, like the fallen angels, their influence in the world, nothing in Scripture show, like, tells us that that has stopped. In fact, there's a whole lot of Scripture that tells us that that is still going on. So the question becomes, what do we do with that as kingdom people? And here's, here's what... At this point in the Old Testament, I mean, this was still like Old Testament times because he has not risen yet. In verses 33 and 34, the herdsmen go into the town, and Mark actually explains this even more. The herdsmen go into the town. They explain what happened. The people come out of the town, and they praise Jesus and say, you are obviously Messiah. No. You know what they say? What do they say? They say, and they begged him to leave their region. Because Here's the thing. There are a whole lot of people out there that, that, are, that, are, that are professing faith in Christ. Maybe many of them who are, who are believers in Jesus. And they don't, want to have, they don't want to give any thought to this supernatural world that's going on out there. I mean, outside of the idea that the Holy Spirit reigns in us and we are born again, and so we have been somehow transferred, they don't want to think about th- that world. They, they want to do what... The, what the people in the town did. The, in, in a very real sense, they're saying, please just leave that part out of your story. That's just too freaky. We're, we're Westerners. We're, we're trust the science people. right? Like, we're, like, we're, like That's who we are. We, we have no business believing in the supernatural. Guys, um, I don't know where she is. Caitlin, I, I think it was Caitlin. I don't really know who's praying what, when, during our prayer time. I think she, she's the one that prayed it. The most supernatural thing you ever have seen is when someone is born again. That is a supernatural healing miracle in the extremist sense of the word. And so as as God's people in Christ, to deny that that the supernatural world is something that we need to be engaging in is to deny the kingdom reality. Because we will not, none of this will make any sense, and we're about to go into our time of baptism, actually, um, as our time of response. Because none of this will make any sense unless you really believe in these two kingdom realities. That's why I wanted to take a few minutes today and talk about this. That yes, there is a real physical world that we are called to be in and engage in. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. That's, that's Matthew 28, 19 and 20. He's saying, as you are going along in this earthly kingdom, make disciples. Can, like, see people come into my kingdom. But guys, do you remember what he says right before that? Verse 18. Before he gets to go and make disciples, he says... All authority everywhere in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. in right? that, that call for us to engage in this world for the glory of the gospel is the two-kingdom conflict. He's saying, I have authority over all of this. Now your job is to believe it enough to no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what you're experiencing, no matter how you're feeling, if your mind just claim my power and get after my ministry. Right? Like, guys, I'm gonna keep saying this until, until you're sick of saying it because I need to hear it too. What we fixate on, we migrate towards. What we fixate on, we migrate towards. And too many of us as Christians are consumed in this world. Too many of us are, 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 are in a fight, and the fight is all this direction. People around us, our coworkers, politics, whatever it is, it's, it doesn't mean we, again, got to do work here, got to do work here. We're called, we are dual citizen people. It isn't either or. Remember where I started? We think of things as either or. God is a both and God. But we have got to recognize that there is work to be done in the spiritual world too. right? Armor up. Put on the full armor. Pray. Use the supernatural power of the word of God. But guys, if all we're fixated on is our brokenness that 's my problem like that, that this is one of the tools the enemy is using, even in our midst, guys. There are too many of us that are focused on I, my how I define me is I am broken, I am wounded, I am hurt, those are all real things. really deal with them in this world, really. get help, talk to me, talk to the elders, talk to our wives, but get help. those are real things or we're, or we 're or we're consumed in the um, in the baggage that we're carrying, that, that, that the enemy has so shamed us that we're not actually being engaged in the ministry of the gospel. If we are focused on, on the burden and on the bondage, and on, like, we are not focused on the beauty that is Jesus Christ, by definition. Over and over and over again, Jesus tells us, You are, as as born-again believers, you have been partially transferred. There's a part of you that is regenerated, even as there's a part of us that's still living in this world. And then he says, and the solution to that is fix your eyes on me. The other scene where, where where he calms the storm is when Peter's walking on the water. And what does he see? He's like, Peter, why did you get your eyes off me? That's the solution to the attack. That's why I love what we're about. It could not have fit, and we didn't, I didn't know we were having baptisms today until last week, and this message was already planned, but but baptisms could not fit any better into this idea of two kingdom and and, tr- and this sort of dual citizenship than, than what we're about to see in baptism, because what baptism celebrates is that we are people in two kingdoms. It is a public proclamation of the fact that that This part of me, a part of me has died with Christ, going under the water, has been raised as Christ has been raised, and is seated at the right hand of God, even as I'm still sitting here dripping wet when I'm done. Right? That's the beauty of baptism. That's why we believe in in, um, believer's baptism, professing your faith. Because what you're proclaiming is that that not only has happened to you, that you are partially transferred but also that you are part of god's kingdom you are now kingdom you are now a part. so these people that are getting baptized today what our role in that is is to say welcome into the family of god like officially like you have made a, po- a proclamation to your family that you are now part of the family. God does not just save us from judgment, but into a family. And that family is the local church. And so these people who are coming together today are going, I am part of you. You are part of me. We are kingdom people meant to live by kingdom power for kingdom glory. Let me pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the reality that um, that prayer is a supernatural weapon meant to do supernatural warfare. And Lord, I I pray that, that we would see it um, as that, that we would see that as a people caught between kingdoms, that there is work to be done, <laughs> that there's, that there's, that, that you have, and yet you have given us all of the godly kingdom resources we need to be successful in this kingdom down here. And so Lord, I, I thank you that, that there are probably few things that evidence that more than when somebody comes up and says, this is who Christ has turned me into that I am now a child of God and I am a member of his family. Um, Lord, that, that, that is, we are getting glimpses in the next few moments of kingdom transfer. Lord, I pray that, that it would motivate us as those of us that are, that are kind of wandering around down here, that it would motivate us to do kingdom work for you. Lord, I do pray too for those here that have not yet been transferred, that no part of them has been regenerated, that they are not born again. That whether it be something they heard in the prayer time or in the music or even in this, in this message, that your Holy Spirit is the one that has to do that work. I pray that they would not leave here today without talking to somebody about what it means to become a child of God. Lord, there is, there is nothing, 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 nothing in this world more important than that. Remind us of that in Jesus' name. Amen.